24 through 31. I'll give you a chance to flip there or scroll there, as it were. And if you have neither a paper or electronic Bible, we do have the text on the screen. Feel free to shift your chairs around, too. We do our best with the sight lines of, like, will this person be happy or sad? Um, And some, you know, sometimes we miss. But um, let's pray before we begin. Lord Jesus, we pray that your word would be open to us now, that you would speak into your people, that it would have the effect on us that your Holy Spirit intends, that you would build us into a more faithful and, and effective church body that is about your business. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, I was once watching an uh, interview with perennial Pro Bowl running back LaDainian Tomlinson. Any fans? Any LT? Okay, he was awesome, right? He was really amazing, and uh, I remember this was right when he was right when he was just blowing the league away, and um, and the interviewer. I'm going to step away from this so I don't get as much feedback. Sorry. Uh, so the interviewer asked him, "Who do you think the best running back in the league is?" And now this is when he was just starting. So he says, "Well, I think it's a guy named Ladanian Tomlinson." And he says, well, who do you think the best running back ever is? He says, I would have to say it's a guy named LaDainian Tomlinson. Now, I like a player with some swag. And if you're hit as much as him, you get to brag, all right? And if you're as good. But then the next thing he said, he said, well, what do the San Diego Chargers, that's his team, what does the San Diego Chargers need right now? He says, well, you know what we need? We need 46 LaDainian Tomlinsons, (laughs) right? Now, I have a big problem with that. Because, sure, he's valuable. Sure, he's amazing. But he doesn't value, he didn't value the differences on his team. He thought he made the only valuable contribution. And that is a huge problem in a lot of places. Surely people make valuable contributions, but, but a lot of the time we have a hard time valuing different contributions. Right? Very important. Ones that aren't as loud, ones that aren't as splashy, ones that aren't as obvious, and people who make the more quiet sorts of contributions can feel devalued. And the people who make the more visible and loud contributions can get prideful. Now, what does devaluing differences have to do with 1 Corinthians 12? Which, if you look at your, the little heading, is talking about spiritual gifts. Okay? In fact, chapters 12 through 14 are talking about nothing but spiritual gifts. That's right, the famous chapter 13 love chapter is not about a wedding. It, is to, it too is about spiritual gifts. So, we would make a big mistake if we looked at 1 Corinthians 12 as like, here is the spiritual gift catalog. If you would like a spiritual gift, here are your selections. You can also, Corinthians, look at Romans. If you, it doesn't exist yet. But if you want to know about spiritual gifts, here's your options. That's not what's happening. Instead, this text is a correction for how the Corinthian church is devaluing differences. They are devaluing differences. Now, where do we see that in the text? Now, we're going to pick up the whole text, but we're going to look at one verse right now. Look with me at verse 21. It says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now, why would Paul talk about an analogy of someone saying, I don't need you? 
It's because there was someone, some people in the Corinthian church saying to others, I don't need you. Again, there's another group that is feeling devalued. Look at verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. So there's, there's one group saying, I don't need you. And another group saying, what? I'm not needed. We all clear so far? We all good? That, that much seemed like good Bible detective work? All right. So what are these groups? What could be the occasion for one group being prideful about its contribution to the point where it's saying, I don't need people, uh, other people. And another group saying, I'm not very valuable. Well, as I said before, chapters 12 through 14 is all about spiritual gifts. These are gifts from the Holy Spirit for the building up of the church. All right, so we're good Bible detectives, so I'm going to tell you a couple of facts, and we're going to figure it out. All the gifts that are mentioned, and this is not an exhaustive catalog, right? These are four examples. All of the gifts mentioned are mentioned once, except for two gifts. There is one gift that is mentioned a dozen times in those three chapters, and there is another gift that is mentioned nearly two dozen times in those three chapters. Would it be safe to say that whoever is feeling like they don't need others possess the gifts that are mentioned frequently? Yeah? Y'all following me? The gift that gets talked about a lot. It's like, hey, you guys think this gift's a big deal, but you should know about these other gifts too? Okay, so the gift that's mentioned a dozen times is the gift of prophecy. And the gift that is mentioned almost two dozen times is the gift of tongues. So this is not a text about how you use spiritual gifts necessarily. It's a, it's a text about how the people in Corinth who had the gift of tongues or prophecy were feeling like they didn't need anybody else. It bred in them a sense of spiritual superiority and people with other giftings. And notice that prophecy and tongues are the loud gifts. The other people were, complete, were, were completely devalued. Okay? And so, um, so what's valued and devalued in, in Corinth? Like, we, we could say, okay, there are, there are contexts today in which if you have tongues... In, in certain churches, like, you are looked at as super spiritual. You are the one, right? You are, the Holy Spirit speaks through you. And in some settings, they will even say, if you don't speak in tongues, then you aren't even a Christian. Okay, so that would be a legitimate application. But there are all kinds of ways that there are some gifts that are held up as the ones, the ones that truly matter and other gifts are looked at as not valuable contributions. So in, in some places, in some churches, it's like if you have CEO type visionary leadership giftings, that's held up as the thing. And the more gifted by the Holy Spirit you are, the more you're going to look like that. And people who don't have those sorts of giftings are not very valuable. Or in certain contexts, especially my own tradition, um, right, the, the gift of teaching, of understanding theology and Bible and being able to teach it is held up as the thing, the thing that matters. 
right? And maybe tongues isn't even seen as legit. Like that doesn't even happen. I know for me, when I, when I was first walking with God in, in high school, I've always been more cerebral and less emotional. That's just how I'm wired. And the people who were leading me and teaching me the faith made me feel like I was, like, they, they literally said the words, just turn your brain off and have a heart for God. Don't worry about all this thinking stuff, right? The, the giftings that I turned out to have, gift of teaching, was devalued in that environment. And it doesn't just stop at gifts, right? People of certain backgrounds are, it's held up as the norm, as the more you look like this, the more right on, the more valuable you are, whether that's marital status, right? In a lot of places, if you're married, that's great. If you're not, it's like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it's devalued. Or uh, if you grew up in the church, you know, uh, hey, I've been a Christian my whole life. That's held up as, well, that's, that's the norm. That's the ideal. The more you look like that, the better. In other places, it's like if you don't have a, a, a good testimony, quote unquote, and you did just kind of grow up in a good, good Christian family, always known Jesus, like you could feel like that is, we, that, that gets devalued. And the list goes on. Cultural background, economic status. The question is, how do we, how do we understand differences within the church? And more importantly, how does God's word show us to regard differences within the church. Well, the way Paul redirects the Corinthian church is with three main points. It's that God is essential to the church, that different people are essential to the church, and different gifts are essential to the church. God is essential to the church. Hope that's obvious. Different people are essential to the church, and different gifts are essential to the church. So first of all, God is essential to the church. Go with me back up to verse 4. Now, I want you to do a little counting with me, right? We're going to see if we can get to three. Verse four says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. I'll count that as one. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. I believe that's talking about Jesus. That's two. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. The most frequent way that God the Father is referred to in the New Testament is just God. So do you all see the Trinity there? So the way that he's redirecting the church and understanding differences is he points out that God is a differentiated unity. We just heard about three different things that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit do in empowering the church. Yet they are one God. So God is essential to the church, right? That, that, that much should be obvious. But God himself is internally differentiated. There are differences within the person of God. And he made the church a differentiated unity. Look at verses 7 through 11. It says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So we see in God, inside of God, 
The, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit do different things, yet they are one. And in the church, we have different gifts of the Spirit. We do different things to build up the church, yet we are one. In the same way that, you know, if you look at the eye color of Sharon and Mai's kids, four of them have blue eyes, one of them has hazel. Now you might, you know, like... It's good that you don't make regular heavy eye contact with your pastor, but I, I don't have brown eyes. I have hazel eyes, right? And, and when you look at our kids, it's four blue, that's the dominant gene, and then one hazel. It's soji, and the pattern that you see in our kids is the pattern that comes from their parents. So the pattern that we're supposed to see within the church, differences in functional unity, is the same pattern that is internal to the God who founded the church, the God who is essential to the church. Okay? So instead of seeing people as less valuable because they don't possess a certain gifting that is highly valued, is to misunderstand the very nature of God. Inside of God, there is differentiation, yet unity. And so as God calls his church into existence, we should expect that he is going to build a church with different people in it. And we're going to see next in verses 12 through 14 that different backgrounds are essential to the church. Look at verses 12 through 14. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all are members of the body, though many, are, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Now Paul in a discussion about spiritual gifts, he talks about other differences. He casually throws out two of the biggest and most difficult divisions in that society. The ethnic and cultural division between Jews and Greeks. right? Jews and everyone who's not a Jew. And then the division of class between slave and free. A lot of the time, Paul will, will include male and female, barbarian or civilized, right? But the, the different backgrounds of people are essential to the church as well. You saw how he emphasized it's one body, one baptism, one spirit between Greeks and Jews. For you to understand the the weight of that, the the Jew-Gentile divide is the number one issue the New Testament is dealing with. This was a hard divide. The only analogy I could think of that makes any sense was imagine if the gospel, if Jesus came and did all that he did among the Native American population, right? And then ordered the Native American folk to go out and share this good news that came to them with their occupiers, okay? That gives you some idea of the difficulty of the division between Jews and Gentiles. And then there's the the cultural divide. Right? The, the Corinthians we've been learning about, these are, are Gentile folks. They are some wild living people. Right? It, I, I liken it to if you were to get like someone who came to Christ to, and grew up in Saudi Arabia. And they were going to be in the same church with someone who grew up around like Amsterdam's red light district. And thought that was great. Like those people coming from those cultural backgrounds are one. That's what Paul is telling us here. Not only that. 
that these different backgrounds of ethnicity, of culture, and class are essential to the church. That you don't have a properly functioning body of Christ if we do not have unity across these divides. Um, I don't know if you're aware that there was a book written in, uh, in 08 and research after it too called The Big Sort. You ever, guys ever heard of this? The Big Sort refers to a pattern that's happening inside of the U.S. Uh, since basically the 1980s. That people are moving to places where people vote like them, think like them, look like them, earn like them, right? have the same educational attainment as them. Increasingly, American society is becoming like, depending on where you go, in this congressional district, right? Every, it's, it's like the landslide districts, as they call them, where everybody thinks the same, are increasing. While districts where people have varying backgrounds, varying political ideas and the rest are decreasing. What Paul's telling us is that we need to stand against that current of our society. To just, to just interact with and, be, and especially be in, in spiritual union with people who are just like us. Now, often in the church we can idealize and normalize a certain set of circumstances that you come from. You, know, you, you grew up in a Christian home. That's, you know, like you say that and everyone's, oh, that's good. You've always walked with Jesus. Other places it's like, oh, you always walked with Jesus. That's not a very good testimony. Right? Can we get like some addiction in there or something that you overcame that that's like a real testimony that really shows that that God worked in your life or or like if you're not college educated and successful in your career that can be looked at as like well there must be something spiritually going on there or else you'd be more successful and you'd have gotten a higher level of education right the fact is is that the varying backgrounds, the varying circumstances, the varying um, you know, financial backgrounds that we have are actually part, an intentional part, and an essential part of being the body of Christ. It, it, and this doesn't just go for the local church, but it goes for the big C church. I don't know about you. I don't have much hope of like, being able to do evangelism in Iran. I don't know the culture. I don't know the language. I don't make any sense to folks there. So we need people who are of Parsi background, right? To be part of the body of Christ. For example, the more, we're, the, more the church moves towards, moves against the big sort and into valuing the different backgrounds, whether that's your family structure you grew up in, whether it's your ethnicity, the class in which you grew up in, your, your, your current statuses, as well as how you grew up, uh, the, the more, those things are actually essential to being the body of Christ. And something that's specific to 1 Corinthians 12 is that different spiritual gifts are essential to the church. So not just the the backgrounds, but the actual giftings of the Spirit. And that's where we'll spend the the rest of our time here. Different spiritual gifts are essential to the church. Look at verse 15 and following. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, 
that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So what he's saying there is that the quiet, less valued gifts are just as essential as the highly valued gifts. You might say that you'd rather have your sight than your hearing. We could argue over that, but for the sake of for the sake of what Paul's saying is, yeah, maybe sight's better than hearing. But if your entire body was an eye, what do you have? It, it, it's like a video game monster or something, right? It's like a like a level boss in a video game. It's it's dead. It's grotesque. It, it's non-functional. He's saying the quiet gifts are just as essential as the loud, and not only that that the greater gifts, quote, are useless without the lesser gifts. Look at verses 21 through 26. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. He's saying bathing suit areas receive special care, (laughs) Um, which which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Do you hear that? He's saying that the different spiritual gifts are essential to the body, that the quiet gifts are as essential as the loud, and the greater gifts, the louder gifts, are useless without the quiet ones. Now, we're going to talk more about the nature of each of these gifts when we get to chapter 14. Um, not a ton is known about, like, all word of wisdom. And, you know, like you hear some people talk about, like, oh, we know exactly what was going on there. Yeah, someone did Say something wise or whatever. Like, that's not the point. The point is, is that we would value all of the gifts equally, that we would see them as essential. Going back to to my friend LaDainian Tomlinson, is what he did for the team a a huge contribution? Absolutely. You know, everyone's watching him. he, he He was amazing. Breaking tackles. You know, avoiding tackles. He saw the field great. He would catch out of the backfield. But what would LaDainian Tomlinson's contribution have been if there weren't some people who didn't want attention and didn't want to gain yards? Like if, if he got his wish, if there was just 46 of him on the team, he's, he's 5'10", 215, great for a running back, not so great for a line guy. Right? He'd get clobbered by the D-line. Or who's, he would never have the ball because he couldn't play defense. Right? Who would throw the ball? Who would catch the ball? Right? All, all of these people, not just the, the body type and the skills, but even the personalities. You can't have everybody be the center of attention, can you? You need some people who are going to show up and quietly do their job. In the same way, the differing spiritual gifts within the body, the different personalities 
and all that, like, we make a huge mistake when we think of Holy Spirit gifting as sort of on a scale from one to ten. That really it's not a difference of type of gift, but amount of gift, right? And so, so I'm a one in Holy Spirit gifting. I could just do administration. Well, I'm like a five, so maybe I could lead a Bible study. Oh, I get up to seven, and then I could be a pastor and ten, and I could like start a podcast. Because <laughs> I'm not gifted. <laughs> the idea that the more mature you get in Christ, the more the Holy Spirit gifts you that that you look like the the the, the loudest leaders, right? Like I'm being loud, y'all are being quiet right now. Like that's not the case. Somebody might be a 10 in Holy Spirit gifting in administration and they know how to keep things running and they know how to get clear instructions to people so that things function smoothly inside the church. Somebody might be a 10 in the gift of help and you show up for people when they need help. You don't look for attention. You don't look for applause. You humbly serve. You might have the gift of tongues. Put me in the camp of people who believe that tongues is still a thing. Okay? And you might be highly gifted to have ecstatic experiences in the spirit. You might be a a, a 10 in leading music. Right? And you are gifted by the Holy Spirit so that when you get up, like the Orochas, you get up and you lead people in worship, the Holy Spirit is at work. Put this another way. You could be the greatest teacher, a 10 on Holy Spirit gifting and teaching the word. And if the body is nothing but teachers, you have a grotesque dead deformity that's not going to function as the body of Christ. All gifts are essential. Uh, All spiritual gifts are essential to the church. So what is it? that Paul wants us to do. Look with me at the, at the last few verses, how he closes out the chapter, in verse, starting at verse 27. He says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Well, I hope no one's saying yes right there. The the obvious implied answer is no. Instead, he's calling us, God is calling us to treat the differences in the church as essential to the church. Because God is essential to the church. We're repeating the pattern that's internal to God. Different people of different backgrounds are essential, and different gifts are also essential. Some of you think that your gift isn't very valuable. You don't have a gift of teaching or speaking in tongues. You just have the measly old gift of, you know, like serving people. Or... You know, you, you, you like, like I, I don't have the gift of administration. And when people have the gift of administration, I'm like, what sorcery is this? How do you do that? You know, like I envy that gift. You may think that the way that the Holy Spirit has gifted you is a lesser gift, and it isn't so. The church needs 
the way in which you are gifted. If, you have, if we didn't have anyone with a word of wisdom, how are we going to be able to steer through the difficult things that we, we have and will have to deal with as a church? If we didn't have anybody gifted in administration and organization, that's a Holy Spirit gift, folks. Like, we would fall apart. Like, there's one reason we're still standing as a church. It's because we have some people with administrative gifts that use them. If we didn't have people who were very in tune and, and, and were open to the ecstatic experiences of the Holy Spirit, where would our worship culture be? If we didn't have anyone who had the gift of teaching God's word, how are we going to be built up through the word, you see? If we, if we didn't have the gift of mercy, if no one have, had the gift of mercy around here, how could we possibly be faithful to the call to serve our community? Some of you think that you don't have a gift from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I know you're out there. And you're saying, oh, I don't have any of those things. I guarantee you, you do. Here's my offer. If you're like, I don't even know what my Holy Spirit gift is. Let me know, because I can't read minds not among my giftings. Let me know. I'm not really sure what mine is. We will schedule lunch or coffee. We'll talk it through. I will give you some helpful things that you can take to start to start getting some idea of where God is calling you to serve. And the other thing is try things. The re, one of the reasons we have volunteer teams and one of the great advantages of a church plant is that we need people everywhere. We need people volunteering all over the place. You want to see if you have the gift of teaching? You can see you want to see if you have a gift of leading music? You have to try out first, but we'll see. Okay, right? And so a lot of this is just finding out. I didn't know I was called to be a pastor. I would have never said that unless it was the body of Christ telling me as I was, you know, the, the pastor in a church plant said, hey, why don't you try preaching? I'm like, okay. You know? And, and the, the body of Christ said, hey, we believe the Holy Spirit's calling you to be a pastor. Right? We, we don't discover these things without being in community and without trying things and hearing from the body of Christ. We need to treat the differences within the church, including your own gifting, as equally as valuable as that which is held up as being the contribution. Now, I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for rock and roll biopics. Biopics or biopics? Biopics. I like biopic. Rolls off the tongue more. So I recently watched Bohemian Rhapsody. Y'all see that? Like, I love the music of Queen. And so I'm, when, I, when I saw that on Netflix, I'm like, oh, I'm in. We're doing this. And there's and Queen, the way they, they portray the band, it's the, these four very gifted, very strong-willed guys. They all wrote songs. They all could play. They all could sing. And the way they would make records was they all made contributions. And often they would push back on each other and yell at each other and get in physical fights with each other. And Freddie Mercury, who of course was, you know, this incredibly charismatic and great front man and singer, he eventually got sick of it. And he said, I don't need you guys, I'm going solo. And so in the, you know, in the movie, he's, he's kind of surrounded by all these yes men. And he makes a record on his own and he's like, this is terrible. <laughs> and he goes back to Queen hat in hand and he sits them down and he says, listen, 
I went to Munich, that's where he recorded his record. I, I, I hired a bunch of guys and I told them exactly what to do. And the problem is, is that they did it. No pushback, no rewrites, no struggle, right? And he said, I need you and you need me. That is how we're supposed to understand the differences within the church. That your differences are needed. You need the differences of someone else. I know they're a pain. I know that when you are a person who has a gift of teaching and you're on a more, uh, you know, cerebral bent, talking to people who are more ecstatic in their spirituality, it feels like you're from two different planets. Guess what? You need both. Both are essential. We need to treat the differences in the church as essential to the church. Please pray with me. Jesus, thank you for the many different ways that you've shaped us by your providence, that you bring us together and call us into one body with many members, not two of us the same. I pray that you would continue to to build up this body with varying backgrounds, with varying gifts, with varying experiences and, and people from all over the map so that we can more accurately reflect who you are and that we can more healthfully function as your body. In Jesus' name, amen.